incarceration dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus-y podcast about race and faith from the perspective of a black girl, an Asian guy, and a white guy, too. I'm Andrew. I'm Asian. I use he, him pronouns. And I'm Bethany. I'm black, and I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Chris. I'm white. I use he, him pronouns. The first thing we like to do for our podcast is talk about things that we wish we had mentioned or want to correct from previous episodes. Yeah, and I have an update this week. I am really happy to say that my cousin has received so much good feedback from her episode and so much support um, in her journey of coming out and fully being herself and living her life as a queer um, Black woman of faith. Um, And yes, she sent me a picture at like 6.30 this morning, right? And it was a picture of uh, my aunt and uncle, her parents, and her girlfriend and her all together um, congratulating her for receiving an award last night. So Mm. it was like the first time that uh, her family was all together with her girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm really excited for her, and I'm excited that she's living in her truth. So that's a little two-week update. That's great. One thing that I was thinking about after listening to that episode uh, was what you had observed, Chris, you, you made almost a kind of offhanded observation or a, a kind of comment where you were saying that you, you hope that she's able to find a community where she doesn't have to read her identity between the lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I found that really significant and meaningful, especially in thinking about Johnny um, included on his social media bios that he identifies as bi. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And making that public was a big deal for him. Wow. And oh. one of the things that he one of the one of the things that he has been kind of working out and also tweeted about was how the experience of having to read his identity into certain situations or not having it fully acknowledged was actually kind of harmful for him. Mm-hmm. Um and so many queer people have that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, I, I like I was I kept thinking about what you said to her, Chris, mm. and I also hope that for Elise that she's yeah. able to fully express herself in a place and to people that fully embrace her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you had something else, right? Well, I mean, I listened to the last episode, and I'm just wondering when when Andrew's going to acknowledge us and worry about us becoming famous. <laughs> yeah, what's your problem with me, Andrew? <laughs> uh. Why aren't you ever afraid of me becoming famous? I mean, out of all of us, I think I would be most afraid of you becoming famous. <laughs> I think, honestly, I, I feel like the rest of us, I am terrible at brand management. I think Chris is all, is like a Gen Xer who barely knows how, like, who barely knows how Facebook works. I'm offended. Much less TikTok. You really know how Facebook works. All right. That's I, but I, mean, I feel like TikTok would be way oh, no, too far. I'm, yeah, I'm not doing TikTok. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. And I'm just like allergic to any kind of... Uh, personal brand management. So I just feel like it's just be. I in order to be famous, you have to know how to yeah. how to do that. And yeah. I feel like I I can't really do it. Chris can't really do no. it. I can imagine no. you, you could do it, Beth. Though. I I 
I get pissed off every year when the Inquirer does like 100 best Philadelphians or mm-hmm. whatever. That's not even what it. No, it is Philly's best, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I'm one of Philadelphia's fucking best Philadelphians, <laughs> and I have never yeah. been named because I'm not famous, and I think that's some you see fucking that, bullshit. You c- keep that hunger, Beth. Well, and and you know, <laughs> keep and you that know, fire. Beth, <laughs> I, I want to be famous so bad. Uh-huh. Beth holds her own leash because for Lent. She turns off her oh, socials. Oh, yeah, she gave up social media. Yeah, so, that's why I didn't know about Johnny. So that's yeah. what's holding you. Holding me back that yeah. the six weeks every year is why you I'm know, not famous? That's, that's what like that's what keeps you at you a know, certain I'm gonna level. I'm going to consider that next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, like, I may have pressed a button. I'm, I'm not sorry. Do you give Chris, up the same thing every year, social media? I do, but this year it didn't have the same bite, so I need to do something different next mm-hmm. year. That I, actually feels like a struggle. I get it. It's like it's like working out. You have to you eventually get used to it. Mm-hmm. More. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So we uh, like to read uh, listener your reactions and things that you want to say to us in our speak up segment. Uh, this letter comes to us from a listener who says, um, who listener who is responding to our episode on. Um, redeeming the third way question mark the episode on digging <laughs> that question mark is so I, important I, to I you. Added, it is because, <laughs> uh, yeah because I, th- I felt like it added some necessary some ambiguity exactly yes, yes. Depth. the episode on digging into the issues with that third with the third way was a thought-provoking way to start my week also you all may always make me laugh out loud no fail the white accountability group I participate in at work has been rereading Tila Okun's white supremacy culture is still here. But today I am wondering if you see any connections between either or thinking and whether it may have... Wait, remember we tried to read it before and we didn't understand yeah, I think it. there's just an extra word in there, so I'm reading it without that extra word. It makes sense if I take out the word antidoting. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it makes sense that I read it this way. <laughs> <laughs> it just hit me. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. That, we we do one. we do want you to write in, but we also want you to use spell check. Don't make fun of our listeners. No one's gonna write. Nobody's in. gonna listen to us anymore if you make <laughs> yeah. fun of them. We have standards. We promise that if you write in, we won't roast. We you. will not make fun of you, <laughs> yeah. listener. And yeah, that's just you, Chris Eden yeah. and his white supremacy. That's right. That's right. Even though the listeners right. white do, but yeah, that's what it is. Proper English. <laughs> Today, I'm wondering if you see any connections between either or thinking and whether it may have a relationship to third way thinking. I see some relationship and some distinction. And my first thought is, like y'all said, how power plays out in the third way. Interested in hearing your thoughts. Mm. Thanks for leading us. So, I mean, the listener is pointing out something that we talk about a lot, which is that in a white supremacist structure, people are very obsessed with just the simplest way to think of things, mm-hmm. which is binaries Mm -hmm. but at the same time we were talking about how thinking about a third way as a moderate compromise is oftentimes pretty harmful Mm -hmm. so i i I sense the tension that the listener is bringing up which is if we're not into binaries and we're not into the third way what are we talking about what are we into Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. how would you guys respond to that I'm into a flexible third way. Hmm. I think that's a really important part of deconstructing white supremacy. I think it is very easy to 
say, okay, I'm not trying to live into binaries and then create some new binaries. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's really important for us to always choose the third option, but make sure that we have a flexible mindset as well as a flexible structure to change that third way. So that's that I think that's what I mean by choosing a flexible third way. I am into the third way. I am into choosing... um, but I'm into the third way the way I described it in that episode as led by marginalized people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Not as this moderate tool. But I think it's really important to be flexible. Something about the flexibility. Yeah, we need that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think also at the same time, like, not everything is a compromise. Like, that, that's not always That's not possible. equity. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and we and, – and, that's not what's modeled for us when we when we see the life of Jesus, and I, I like I I see where Johnny's coming from. I'm 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 excited to talk to him more about this. But like, taking aside is an important aspect of a faith life and and following God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't just put you can't just baseline everything for your own comfort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I t- totally agree. And uh, speaking of flexible ways of thinking about identity, we have today with us uh, Jeff James. Segue. Yes. I feel like you Yo. started laughing because you knew I wanted to I make fun of you. I knew you were going to point out my segue. <laughs> and that time I was uh, choosing not to. <laughs> all right. I did really like it. It um, was really good. We we have with us today Jeff James, author of Giving Up Whiteness. Uh, and also, if we were uh, if we were online, we would have oh, that yeah. applause, yeah. Yeah. applause track. Um, who and Jeff has been patiently sitting here, listening to us. <laughs> to our our intro. Intro. Is, is this the green light to talk? Now? <laughs> <laughs> I almost jumped in a couple times. I know. Like, you know we we never know how to do this with guests because sometimes it's like you know, it's sometimes we introduce the white guy early. Sometimes we make the white guy yeah, wait. Yeah. You should make him wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's every funny. time that should be our standard. <laughs> Um, but Jeff, do you want to introduce yourself and give us your pronouns and how you identify? Sure. Um, identify he, him. And I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I grew up in very small town, West Virginia is my origin story. And so, uh, you know, I guess I identify as Appalachian. Interesting. Know, primarily. And that identify, having asked you that, that way of identifying, I think is an interesting thing that we will talk about and is the subject of your book, which yeah. is, you know, giving up whiteness. Um, so Jeff, I have to admit when we first got introduced to you, I, it was a really wonky time in the church. We were having a lot of, so I learned. Yes. Quickly. I'm sure <laughs> racialized, um, upheaval happening, mm-hmm. right? As a lot of institutions and churches were happening in 2020, were having in their institutions in 2020 and 2021. So when we got introduced to you, Jeff, <laughs> me and Andrew had a call with you. And I realized afterwards, me and Andrew had a quick chat afterwards that like, I was interviewing you. I was like drilling you because in my head, I was like, I'm not taking on some white guy that's going to give me a fucking hassle in three months. Um <laughs> I caught Which, that vibe, by the way. I'm sure you did. I felt so bad afterwards. Afterwards, I was like, oh, man, like, this is just another Wait, uh, Christian brother trying to join the church and I'm join little, the work I'm we're doing. I'm shocked that you weren't excited to hear from a middle-aged white guy. I, I, I don't know why that, but yeah. <laughs> Um, thank so, you for thank you for waiting to speak as long as you did. I know how hard that was for you as another as white man, age, <laughs> as another middle aged white man. 
But with all of that, um, it has been such a pleasure to get to know you and your commitment and your steadiness um, to doing anti-racist work, right? So my skepticism, I'm always skeptical of white men. You too. Um. <laughs> we have a we have a history. Yes. But I'm a white guy and I'm skeptical. Of them, so it reading your book and getting to know you has been, yeah, such a pleasure. So I'm wondering, I guess my first question for you is what made you want to write this book? You talk about it a bit um at the beginning of the book where your friend, um, you have a conversation with your friend. I'm wondering if you can explain that to us a little bit more, what that process of writing the book was like for you. Sure, absolutely. Or coming to the conclusion to write it. Right, right. Um, Well, you know, my response to that is, I always feel like there's like big, deeper issues that are underlying our motivations. And then there's like a trigger event. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, I write about the trigger event, you know, right in the first chapter there. But um, the bigger picture issue is that I, you know, a little, you know, a lot different than a lot of my peers growing up in a small white, you know, community, always had a, an interest and a fascination and a passion in a way for equality and diversity and, you know, all these things. I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. But what was happening was I, I didn't feel like I was actually making much progress in my life about it, like a lot of walls, a lot of frustrations of my own doing. And and so that was sort of the underlying thing. And then the trigger event was the summer of 2015. I had just moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and that was the summer of the Charleston AME church shooting. Mm. And it, it just, you know, set me off like a lot of people. <laughs> and I, 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 at that point, because of a lot of the reasons that I mentioned, I had a, a fantastic friend, which I also want to talk about in terms of, you know, how friends help friends and, and the sort of tiresome nature of that, but how important <laughs> it is. Um, I had a friend back in West Virginia where I, you know, I grew up and I texted her at that moment. I said, what in the world is happening in this country? You know, what can I do? I think I literally worded it this way. What can I do as a white person to help other white people get on board with anti-racism? And she was feeling a certain way. You could always tell in Crystal's uh, feeling. <laughs> she, like, you know, texts right back. And she said, it's simple. White people are not white. Get rid of whiteness. And it just took me aback because I'd never heard anyone say, any, like, you know, position it that way. Like, you know, you're, you're trying to do good. You're trying to be, a, you know, a good guy on this issue. You're trying to, you know, I, I was in a position where I, I was able to hire people a lot in my various jobs. And so I've made sure that we had diverse candidates and, you know, I'm doing all the check boxes of, but there was just something missing. Like I was still not quite getting it. And some of the relational things with Crystal, who's, who had uh, worked with me in a, in a company that I started and in a nonprofit that I started, we had enough of a relationship where she could tell me the truth a lot, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and that was just insanely valuable. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that, you know, she would tell me the truth if I asked a question, and, and she did. But she, she pushed me in a way with that question that was different. It was like, it was like a, a crowbar just sort of popped something, and it was no longer, how can I be a good guy on this? It was more like, how am I not seeing stuff? How am I not seeing what she's seeing and feeling and my other friends of color were feeling and seeing? 
And that's really the motivation. It, it just like I, I didn't know I could question my white identity and what that meant exactly. And so it really just put me on a four, literally a four year research journey and writing journey of learning where did race even come from? You know, what's the origin of race? Whiteness, where did that come from? You know, just the whole thing we'll get into. But that's, that's the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and the way the book is constructed is kind of a description of your personal journey. And also it kind of goes into a historical and sociological survey of basically how whiteness came to be. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I The way that I read this book was that you, in order to, that you, you had this experience where someone pointed out to you that whiteness had been constructed. And so you went on this process of deconstructing it and mm-hmm. figuring out how, right. how it can, had been, mm-hmm. you know. Something that you can unsubscribe from mm-hmm. it seems. Right. Mm-hmm. And, right. Yeah, and, and the, the structure of the book, that sort of motif is, I mean, other people have written way more eloquently about the history of, you know, and I, I note some of those books, um, The History of White People by Nell Irvin Painters, fantastic. Of course, uh, Ibram X. Kendi's books have been great. So there's a lot of great historic books. I didn't want to write another one of those, but I wanted to layer over my personal journey and all the faux pas and miscues and embarrassments and, mm. <laughs> and, and also aha moments as I learned this stuff. I only really got on board with your book once you started doing that, to be honest. Mm. When you started recounting these stories of how you had hurt certain people in certain interactions, yeah. I thought that was really meaningful. I thought you... it was really powerful. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I've been wondering a lot about that and wondering how have white people responded to those incidences? So particularly there was one story where you t- that you told where you were at cell group. I literally laughed out loud. You're at cell group. You make this offhand comment about... Um, affirmative action. Affirmative action, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And I still get... Tri- like I, I shudder when I think of that, but yeah. <laughs> super cringy, but also something that I would probably say as well, right? Mm. So I started making an excuse for you because I now know you. Well, I... <laughs> Not only do I now know you personally, but I also know that you once met NSYNC, so now I want to make excuses for you, right? Anything I can throw out there to get on definition. <laughs> <laughs> I will do it. Literally the same day that you posted that picture, I had had your book in Audible for like a month. I was like, oh, okay, I got to get to that. Literally the same day you posted that picture, I was like, well, let me... Go ahead and listen to this. <laughs> Wait, so can't be saying, half bad if he listened. If, if he could, was with Justin Timberlake, if I could go back and redo the marketing on this book, I would lead with NSYNC. Please <laughs> lead with NSYNC. Okay. Forward yes. by Justin Timberlake. Um, but with that, yeah, I'm I'm wondering how white people have been responding to those particular examples because I can imagine that it would be really easy to see oneself in those examples and to want to make an excuse for you mm-hmm. as to make an excuse yep. for oneself. Mm-hmm. So I'm yep. wondering what the feedback in general about your book has been from white people and particularly those examples. That, that's a really great question. And, and I, I have a, like a marketing background, so I'll sort of answer it in a marketing kind of way. Okay. What, there are situations where there's a massive obstacle to get people to even engage on the topic and my publisher and I went back and forth a lot on the title mm-hmm. you know a little provocative you know mm-hmm. people didn't understand exactly what I was saying about giving and and so as you can imagine the vast majority of people either sort of crinkle their brow a little bit or get flat out angry 
because you know we've heard their response well are you asking black people to give up blackness you know mm-hmm. <laughs> this is that first reaction um that's not everyone but but there's also that sort of silent uh, majority of I don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's all because uh, white if I people can... haven't been taught to see <clears throat> exactly. whiteness as a structure. Exactly. They've been taught that that is their like first culture. So it yeah. feels like trying to yeah. strip you might my as well identity say, from me. You know, I'm giving up being an American. Right. I'm like what? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so that's a lot of the, the the big obstacle. However, once people get through that, if they get through it and read it, you're right. That those are the stories that give the best connection and I've gotten so much really meaningful feedback from you know the white people who have read it including people who don't know me and you know that's what you always hope for is like you get a benefit of the doubt from your circle of sure. <laughs> you know uh, friends and family and whatnot but yeah when people read it um, I had a, a the weirdest uh, situation where an executive at a big publishing company in New York I was like trying to sell them something and they said oh I've read your book and I'm like Whoa! <laughs> I did not wow. expect that. Yeah. Wow! That's so interesting. And it's not like a bestseller or anything, but it's just like randomly that person had read it, and I, you know, I immediately give anyone credit for you know having bravery to just dive into that. And I also, you know, obviously this kind of came out a little bit after that big wave of all the anti-racism books of um, you know 2020, and mm-hmm. you know they were all on the bestseller list. And this one is almost in <laughs> and my our mind. podcast. after george floyd our podcast got a huge bump yeah (laughs) it was crazy crazy. Mm -hmm. yeah every publisher tried to get on that train you know so anything (laughs) anti-racist got a huge bump Mm -hmm. but i i just felt like this was sort of the book you might want to read after you learn that there is still such a thing as white privilege or you know some Mm -hmm. of those Mm -hmm. fundamentals follow-up conversation because now it's like okay well what does this even look like to go through the journey and that's all this is it's like Here's what it's like one man's journey to go through that process. So. Yeah. I I think about the title a lot as well, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. I, or I've had some back and forth when I think about the title as well. Because the idea of mm. a white person deciding when they've given up whiteness mm-hmm. frightens me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering for you, what has been that process and what is your consistent self-assessment if you have one? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, that was absolutely, you know, you're always trying to like, how am I going to land this plane <laughs> when you're writing something? Mm-hmm. And the last couple chapters to me, like, you, you know, People can learn a lot about history and all my mistakes and all the stuff I learned. But really, it's that the last chapter or two where I have to come to grips with, is this possible? Mm -hmm. And if so, you know, like you said, when will I know that I'm at least making progress, if not, you know, there? And I think I admit that you can never truly be there. I was going (laughs) to ask, yeah. (laughs) You know, but I embrace and I I equate it a little bit to the sort of the, the Christian journey, right? Like. You know, theologically, uh, you know, Christ has saved me and I'm, I'm, I'm in, right? Like God loves me. <laughs> He's like, he accepts me, but I'm still a sinner. I will always make mistakes. And that's a process of, you know, redemption and a process of, um, you know, growing in so many ways. And I, I equate it to that. Like you, you have to be never in a mode of like, okay, I got this. Now I'm the expert. And mm-hmm. I always introduce myself as a pilgrim on this thing, not an expert. I never want to be introduced as some expert on race or whiteness or any of that kind of stuff. So usually when I do a talk, I'm, I, I start with that. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's another way to connect with people that are on different types of journeys and different processes, you know, of the journey. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that analogy of um, becoming anti-racist to the, you know, the Christian process of, of theosis, you know, becoming more like God. Yeah. Not so we can turn into God, mm. but, but, but yeah. to become mm-hmm. more and more yeah. mature and closer to who God is. In that same way, um, giving up privilege giving up uh, giving up whiteness um and becoming more anti-racist but never being never never saying like oh i've done it i've accomplished it Mm -hmm. but it is something that i'm kind of aren't you worried that people are going to read your book and walk away thinking like oh this is the process i just have to figure this i have to beginning beginning middle end do a bunch of four-year research project yeah and then i come out the other side and i've given up whiteness well, you know, you, you, one thing you learn when you're writing stuff is you, you cannot control how people respond. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you get tripped up on that, it really changes your whole approach. Like, mm-hmm. I, I purposely did not want to write some workbook or some checklist of, you know, uh, of that. So I, I kept it very personal in nature, the story angle, my, you know, sort of a memoir approach. Um, I mean, because some of us just want that certificate. Oh, it's mm-hmm. it's so much easier, yeah. Like you know, okay, I read. Uh, what's the big? Uh, I forget the titles. Of all these books. White fragility, white fragility, yeah. and a bunch of other ones. But mm-hmm. and some of them are you know absolutely valuable. But yeah, I, I purposely did not want to do that. But I I did try to address where I was and how I feel like other people can be on the journey, like I did. It may not be the same process. Mm-hmm. You may come from a different place. You may have a totally different background than me. Um, there are people that are like so far away from even acknowledging this journey needs to be taken. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I think I look at it that way is I can't control, you know, how everyone's going to respond, but I could only tell my story and mm-hmm. I could share what I learned and go from there. Yeah. And you're acknowledging that it is an ongoing process, yeah. which I think yeah. is meaningful. I, I mean, that kind of leads me to my other concern, though, which is. I mean, Chris, you, you you introduce yourself every episode as a white guy. Yeah. Uh, but Jeff is reluctant to identify himself as white. And I understand that's part of what the kind of your thesis here, mm-hmm. which is that you're giving up the the privileges of whiteness and and making sure that you're constantly reminding yourself that whiteness is a construct such that you don't want to claim it the way... Uh, I don't know, the way mm-hmm. the KKK claims it or right, something, right, the right. way that somebody would if they were to really <clears throat> claim whiteness. Mm-hmm. But frequently, people refrain from identifying themselves as white, and you acknowledge this in your mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. in order to absolve themselves of the responsibility of whiteness. Right. Because if I'm not white, then I am not a slaveholding colonizer. I'm not and I don't, accountable. I'm not accountable, precisely. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and I think a lot of times in our in the context of our work and our church, people have reluctantly, people have said things like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus or something. I'm not yeah. white. Yeah. You know, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not, I don't mean to laugh that hard at being a follower. But imagine me talking to the cops and they're like, you know, uh, black, female, blah, blah, blah. I'm a follower of Jesus. <laughs> right. Thanks. Right. That's my right. identity. Like, the, uh, the suspect right. is a follower of Jesus. <laughs> right. Like, uh-uh. I'm getting cuffed as soon as I say that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, what's your response to that? Uh, there's such a risk in so much of putting, especially if you're writing a book, like you, you try to put your ideas out there and it's out there, right? You mm-hmm. can't take it back. 
um, I don't, I honestly have read my own stuff <laughs> enough times where I don't feel like I want to take it back. I feel like I kind of expressed my thoughts on it pretty well, which is that, that comforts me to a certain extent. But there's a couple responses. One is the difference between whiteness and white. Those are, those are two big differences. Mm. Um, whiteness being the lens by which I view the world through privilege and all the privileges accrued to me Mm -hmm. and the set of assumptions that this is my standard of what's right, what's good, what's American, what's Christian, you know, all that stuff. And then there's the sort of clinical, okay, there's all these races and white is one of them. And I, I definitely want to sort of push that whiteness thing out because I don't want to see the world through that lens. It's still a journey, you know, it still can creep in. Um, but that is very definitive. Like, I feel like we absolutely have to decenter ourselves from an assumption of whiteness. That's critical. And then the other part of, well, what is white and why do I even, you know, kind of resist that label is because I feel like one, the, the race, racial categories that have been invented are illegitimate i I think like scientifically they're definitely illegitimate Mm -hmm. culturally socially they were created for a purpose which in my view of history is purposefully for oppression you know the racial categories were invented so that the white one (laughs) could be at the top Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. even the word white was bubbled up because of its association with purity and goodness and christian things and you know that Mm -hmm. sort of thing so you know, yes, I cannot control what the rest of society accrues to me or even the words they use to describe me, but it's my own little form of defiance to have a piece of paper where they're asking race and I will often choose other or or something else because I reject white as a legitimate racial category. Um, you know, again, not thinking that I'm insane and I can change the world's you know, mm-hmm. way it operates. But every, there's a, uh, I think I put it in the book, there's a great quote that every avalanche starts with a, a flake that, you know, lo- unlodges the snow as it falls. And, it, and that's just my effort at flicking a flake out of it so that this whole thing can fall apart. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I, I really think it's, uh, it's clearly been harmful. I mean, measurably devastating to the world to have these concepts and then accrue hierarchical value based on the racial categories that we have. Now, that's not to say that a lot of people have told me, well, you know, if we got rid of that, we'll just invent something, some other way to oppress people. I'm like, I totally get it. You know, we're all still human. That's going to happen. But race is like one of the biggest, highly scaled methods of oppression that humans have ever invented. Mm -hmm. Like if you like, you know, Religion would be right up there. You know, that's another one. But I feel like if we can pop the balloon of thinking that this stuff is real in the sense of measurably scientifically real, then I feel like that gives us a path to start thinking about, well, how would we organize our identities? And I I even have a chapter or two on identity. Like, there's a lot of ways to form your identity. Mm -hmm. Why does it have to be this, you know, sort of three or four races that Mm -hmm. a bunch of Enlightenment era European scientists made up? So I don't know if I I hope that addresses some of your question, but. 
How do you feel about that, Beth? <laughs> it's funny. It seems like we keep, me and you are having the same moments mm-hmm. here where we're like, but then white people are going to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then white people are going to do yeah, that, yeah. right? I so mean, we yeah. we For, have this lens of white people dancing around mm-hmm. their identity that mm-hmm. is affecting the way that we're yeah. like asking well, you questions. Can I, can I actually, I'm sorry, could I address that second part of your question? I think I, I, I didn't really address it. And that was the part about adopting the stance as a way of pushing away the accountability. Mm-hmm. And to me, which again, I write about in, in sort of the end, pushing this identity away has helped me identify more with people of all types to feel like if there is oppression and injustice in this community or that community, it's, it's my problem. And I feel like there are times when these categorizations, I, I know I've heard it in the white community, is to say, mm-hmm. well, you know, okay, inner city crime, that's their problem, or whatever the issue is that gets racialized. Um, or that race somehow is erased by saying things like inner city. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So to me, you know, it actually has helped me identify more with wanting to address these things. It may not be that way for everyone, but mm-hmm. that's been the effect, I think, on me. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Typically, when I think about the way white people think about their own whiteness, it's it's just an excuse for them not to think about race at all. Right. But I think that yeah. what you're saying here is that, f- at, at least in in your experience, sometimes white people identify with whiteness, or they, they do think about race, and they identify with the white race. Is that what you're saying? Um, gosh, you know, just like it's hard to put everyone in a certain category, I think white people have a lot of different reactions. Right, sure. (laughs) There are people that absolutely are, like, defensive and want to take pride in whiteness. Mm -hmm. And and they'll tell me on my Facebook author page in very vivid racist details why, why they're very proud to be white or, you know, from European origin or whatever. Yeah. Um. But there are those people also, as, as you've alluded to, that want to sort of make it all go away, but still retain those elements of whiteness that they really think are positive and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and a lot of that gets equated to Western culture or American values or, you know, they have a lot of code words when yeah. you get into that. Yeah. 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 I, mean, that, I mean, and that's got to be true, even if your average white person doesn't thinks of white as the default they that internalized like race exists somehow for them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and whiteness is equated with you know supremacist values being on top the good the the stuff we want western culture western values Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. ultimate goal of civilization whatever um well pulling it back to what we were talking about um I'm trying to articulate uh, what did it, I'm trying to articulate the the, um, the thing I'm wrestling with here. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe this is where you're going. I hope Go it is. It. I hope we're hope we're on the on the same track. I mean, I, and I it, like Jeff. You may have already answered this, and I was probably in my head when you did. <laughs> but like, one of the fantastic aspects of whiteness is the ability to pretend like race doesn't exist, mm-hmm. um, and and claim a, a color blindness. Right. Um, right. As a way, as a way of um, setting your internal scales to feel like everything you've gotten is fair and everything is fair for everybody else, as long as we go through these motions of pretending that we haven't all harmed or been harmed 
by a, a stratification of race. Mm-hmm. And and some so like it's it seems really important for me to come to this table every time we have a, a conversation and put my whiteness right out there as like the thing that I'm working through. Mm. Like the thing that like follows me, protects me, um, legitimizes me in several spaces, um, is is the key that opens many doors. Um, that I that I have to um, almost lead with, and that I have to own. Mm-hmm. I have to own because like I was born in a time where it's important to this culture. So like whether or not I want to pretend like it doesn't exist, it does, and it has and it has set me up right. for success. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I mean, what I find interesting is that what you're I mean, describing. I didn't even get to a question and all of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what you're describing in in terms of making sure you're aware of your whiteness and being sure that and being aware of how to deconstruct it is so similar to what Jeff is talking about. I feel like it is when in many he's ways. talking about giving up whiteness. Right. You know. But you come to the conclusion that you have to own it, and your conclusion is that you've lost it. That you're like dissenting against it. Well. Yeah, the the way you were just describing it, I, I have a little section there which was sort of an epiphany for me, and I've talked to recovery, you know, people in recovery, and it's the same thing. Like, you go to a recovery meeting, hi, I'm Jeff, right. I'm such and such, you know, addict or whatever. Right. Even if you haven't done any, yeah. done anything yeah. for years. And, and that's a very interesting approach, and I think there's some vali- absolutely some validity in that because you, you, you're owning it, you're never running away from it. However, I also think that there can be a tendency to get stuck in the identity to the point where you are losing opportunities to puncture its, you know, um, strength or mm-hmm. influence mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. the world, including yourself. Yeah. And so I think what I am preferring to do on my journey as documented in this book is I want to be more aggressive than that. Like, I absolutely own and want to continue to own. I, I have a thing in there where I say, this is not some, yay, Obama's president, post-racial, you know, kumbaya. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it's the opposite of that yeah. in many ways. To be fair, you do distinguish what you're, you specifically say that it's not colorblindness. Yeah. You do talk yeah. about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, but I, I, I want to attack it mm-hmm. in a way that... It just starts to feel stupid. Why are we, <laughs> why did we do this? And mm-hmm. why are we continuing to do it? Not, you know, and, and to, in order to do that, you have to continually point out the genocide and the, you know, all the other, th- th- the fruit of, of these racial categories yeah. with whiteness at the top mm-hmm. has just been devastating. And so you never can run away from that. But I just prefer to try to attack it in, in my, I, you know, in the way I'm trying to, you know, approach it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If that makes sense. For, by disengaging from it. Almost the opposite. Like not necessarily, well, disengaging from the perspective of claiming it as an identity right. and mm-hmm. trying to like see my world through it. But I feel like I'm still engaging it by attacking it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. There, there's, there's disengagement to the point where you're like, oh, that was my, my old mm-hmm. self, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're divesting I, from it. I'm, I think that's, that's the word a great I'm word. Yeah. Of, divesting yeah. is a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels like and I want to I want to dismantle it. Mm-hmm. I want to <clears throat> point out the absurdity of it, and mm-hmm. I want to really puncture the the assumption that I had before Crystal sent that text. I I assume there's really nothing I could do about. Okay, I'm white, mm-hmm. and every time you say something bad about white, I could be like everyone else and get defensive. Mm-hmm. 
And you always feel a little prick of defensiveness if, if someone's attacking, no matter how much you want to, uh, you know, say, mm-hmm. oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm down with you. Everything's good. If someone say, you know, give up your whiteness, I'm like, oh, really? Like, what is that? I don't even know what that means. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I decided to get aggressive on it in a way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I, this is one of the things that I really liked about your book. And um, the one thing that I just like being reminded of in general, which is that whiteness as a construct, anything constructed can be deconstructed. Exactly. You know, exactly. It, 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 it's not any, it's not fundamental. It's not ontological. Sometimes it feels that way mm-hmm. since it's in the air we breathe, mm-hmm. but it was, it was built, which it means is, it can be unbuilt. It is culture. Right. Every culture has been created by a bunch of humans that, mm-hmm. you know, agreed on something. And I talk a lot. And the reason why history is so important is people don't realize how this intersection of economic motivation, science, scientific and air quotes and, and religious justification all came together to shape race. to shape this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and why I, and sometimes I'll get some you know racist folks on my thing well, well you know the fact that the world is dominated by European colonialists is is evidence of supremacy I'm like okay <laughs> yeah and so but I did not know and many people were not educated on the fact that China before Columbus had a vastly superior set of technology for um you know shipbuilding and you know a lot of different things so there are a lot of historians now that would say well you know it could have been a different thing it was Mm -hmm. there was a motivation coming out of europe and justification coming out of europe uh, uh, those united things in a philosophy that pushed this thing to the point where by like early 1900s 84 percent of the darn globe was under european colonization and it wasn't Mm -hmm. just about technology yeah, yeah. It mm-hmm. was, in fact, it was a little bit inferior technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all the other stuff combined yeah. that it often led to it. So, yeah, I think it's important to know the whys, and and it does wake people up a lot in how the false creation of these things, you know, were pe- perpetuated. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, as as much as I, as an Asian person, would love to just uh, talk about the, how great China was, <laughs> I think it's important to acknowledge that uh, there that civilizations throughout the world have uh, frequently developed different structures. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about technological progress, have surpassed each other in different ways. Yeah. Whether yeah. we're talking about uh, Mali or Ethiopia right. or Cahokia and you know with different uh, the, but even the idea that technology is a good or that expansion is a good mm-hmm. is itself a product of Western thinking yeah right definitely. Exactly. Uh, I mean in the 10th century there was a, a civilization in the Mississippi River Valley called Cahokia which was one of the biggest cities in the entire world at the time and basically what it did was um, it dissolved, and it seems like a lot of what it dissolved into uh, Native American tribes lived in conscious rejection of that kind of right. urbanized right. uh, slaveholding existence. Mm-hmm. So they tried it, they didn't like it, and yeah. they did something else. There are other ways to live mm-hmm. besides the ways to live that white right. supremacy has imposed on us. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's one of the things that I did like about your book, which is that you talked about how 
you know, how these different forces that you're talking about constructed whiteness and shaped the way that we were thinking. I mean, was there some, in, in your own deconstruction of whiteness, was there anything that particularly surprised you or any kind of anything that you latched onto that was really helpful for, for you and your deconstruction? Um, wow. There are probably quite a few things, but I, I do think that what we were just talking about, because no American student in the U.S., learned any of this right mm -hmm. <laughs> we only learned that the pilgrims came for religious freedom and america's now you know the shining right. beacon if, of if, this if our if our historical journey into <laughs> high school <laughs> right we 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 miss a lot of things and 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 just the way that just rampant blatant lies about the history of other cultures were a part of this global oppression was was very eye-opening because i you know I kind of liked history, but I wasn't, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like into history for that deeply. But to go back and and look at the African cultures that, I mean, Timbuktu, at the time that the Portuguese were initiating the sort of European dive into Africa to start that slave trade, you know, Timbuktu had hundreds, like hundreds of thousands of books in their library. Mm -hmm. And for the people to come back, it was so self uh you know obviously self-centered but the the you know european you know explorers and you know basically slave traders mm -hmm. would bring back these stories of like wow well, you know it's just so uh you know unevolved or you know so unsophisticated and you know natives and we got to sophisticate people and we got to bring christianity it's just a bunch of horseshit i mean mm -hmm. it's not anywhere true and and so i think people need to know the truth of history, whether it's in the Americas, whether it's in Africa, mm -hmm. every part of the globe, you can find sophisticated cultures. And it's just a matter of what point in time you're, you know, kind of putting the lens on it that you can find out, you know, who was ahead or not, mm -hmm. based on whatever criteria you're choosing. Right. Part of your journey in terms of deconstructing whiteness was looking at your own personal experience and your own family history. Yeah. And looking at the ways your whiteness had kind of benefited yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, did you have any surprising recognitions or realizations from from that? Looking at your your yourself, like your your personal history or your family history. Um, I would say um, so. Th there's a part, part, go because ahead. the other side of yeah. it is that your hi family history is uh, like a relative, a, 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 um, relatively impoverished Appalachia, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Is that offensive? I feel weird saying that. <laughs> Oh, it's real. I can show you the numbers. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I think that's a great question because mm -hmm. honestly, you know, when I go back to talk to my people in Appalachia, which I just did last week, I spoke in my hometown of Glenville, which was amazing. But yeah, your English teacher was there, right? My English teacher was there, <laughs> and you know, just a lot of a lot of uh, amazing experiences. But the bottom line is, yes, you go into a place like Southern West Virginia generations of poverty, a lot of oppression and colonialism in its own way from uh, outside wealthy corporations own most of West Virginia and they control it. And so even if you want to do something different in West Virginia, you're not really going to have that ability to do it. Um, and I spent 10 years back there doing some economic development work and I had no idea of, of my own story. Hmm. Um mm -hmm. 
of that. And so, but yes, if you talk to someone in Boone County, West Virginia about white privilege, they're going, like, what the frick are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do mm-hmm. you see where I live? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get them to see the bigger picture because of their experience. And so um, I think that's been, um, you ask, you know, in my own personal story, what's been fascinating. I didn't do the whole ancestry thing until I started writing this book because Mm -hmm. I didn't know. My dad had started some, you know, pre-internet stuff, you know, and he had some clippings and and I found that box while I was writing um, this book and I, I looked at it and then I got on all the cool digital tools now that you can do your DNA tests and you can do Ancestry.com. I traced uh, my dad's side all the way to England in tw- the year 1200. Just mm-hmm. crazy stuff. But what I found is that um, as, the, as, as those ancestors got into, got into uh, you know, the United States in the 1600s, and then how they moved over to West Virginia, they basically lost, they had some wealth. Mm-hmm. The, the one, the earliest guy I found had a big ship or something in Virginia. And it just sort of slowly, you know, kind of was a tragedy story. And then my grandparents were like sixth grade education and barely high school education. And then all four of their children were like master's degree right after that. And there's a grid, a chart that I put in the book where I trace, you know, those generations you know from my grandparents and then you know my dad myself my kids and you can sort of trace these you know progress educational uh, literacy mm. economics voting rights and how different it was for mm. every different group throughout mm. that and mm-hmm. so my family you know my dad and his siblings were able to go from like sixth grade poverty to like you know, middle class, very solidly middle class attached to, and this probably answers your question the most, attached to the purposeful white affirmative action effort by the United States policy, you know, the government. Mm -hmm. They benefit, we all benefited from that GI Bill, all that kind of stuff. And many, many people absolutely did not. And so what that reinforced to me was, guess what? You give people opportunity you give people re- at least access to resources what happens you know yes even poor appalachian west virginians can shoot up the chain mm-hmm. and anyone else who gets that opportunity in a, mm-hmm. in a fair way can also do that um but there's not that equality yet so. yeah yeah and yeah. the history and the history just builds upon itself you know the whole you know sort of uh um, you know, net wealth of the average white family you guys know the statistics of all mm-hmm. that but mm-hmm. It's it's just amazing. White people, you know, have no idea. Yeah, I did really like that about. part of that part of that chapter where you you think you go through the thought experiment of what if my grandparents right. were black, right? And you looked at the the benefits from the GI Bill, mm-hmm. uh, housing loans mm-hmm. and stuff, and mm-hmm. you 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 do the calculation of what they would or would not have likely had access to. Right. Uh, I thought that was. That was really, really fantastic. Really yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about this when I was back home in Glenville. When I was 18 years old, I just was dying to get out of that small town. I wanted to go to West Virginia the University, the big university. <laughs> I literally walked into the local bank and I knew the guy, the loan officer, Jerry. <laughs> I still remember. And I just, and my dad was not there. I just sat there and like, hey, I want a student loan. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, 
and they gave it to me because you know the trust and the privilege and the all the stuff that we're yeah. talking about and i walked out of there so you know funding my college education just yeah. as easy as that did you tell them that you're a follower of christ first <laughs> <laughs> that was assumed <laughs> right right. Uh-huh. right 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 yeah Hmm. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is uh, we. Uh, Jeff has written a book, uh, a bio by uh, a white person about giving up whiteness for I, it, it, as as a kind of guide for other people that are going through the same process. You would say so, right? Like this sure. is really for uh, yeah. White that's people. A, a motivation, and yeah, in a way, a follow up to the challenge of some stuff that I was challenged with in the early days of Circle of Hope and mm-hmm. some other things that I experienced. Yes, mm-hmm. go back and tell other white people <laughs> about these things because mm-hmm. they might listen to you. Yeah. Right. That yeah. was kind of that, that you, you the, say that early on in the book. Catalyst. That, that, was, yeah. right, that was the catalyst. I mean, do you see any parallels for you and your process in oh, Jeff's yeah. process? Yeah. I mean, even, even the really, uh, the, the really personal stuff you were sharing about your, your growing up and the, um, you know, I think I, I, I think I'm remembering this from your book and please correct me if I'm wrong, but, I, it seemed like your your family had um, it was like a, a pretty open family like um, like and we're talking about like open like other races weren't like oh yeah my dad brought but, students home all the time from yeah mm-hmm. but there was kind of this line too that I, yep. I I feel like I definitely am experiencing even now in my family it's mm-hmm. like we we're not blatantly racist but there's also a, a part of us that is unwilling to accept that um just being white has like granted a f- wealth mm-hmm. of whack of, of access that like the people were even having over and and you know breaking bread with um and c is equals well that's not actually something they have access to and we're not like we're not going to talk about that mm-hmm. you know and i i i, I so I really I, I did I did see that um, in your story in mine mm-hmm. um, that like that next part that is so important to um, pushing for the kind of equity that like we see just at our dinner table like out in the world mm-hmm. like y- you have to acknowledge your um, your privilege. Mm-hmm. in order to get there like you actually have to like no matter how little of it no matter how poor you feel and no matter like how bad your job is like yeah so i i that was that was certainly one of the things like this way that like we had these like had a really diverse group of relationships and yet there was still like a limit a limit mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it, it was the frustration of that limit that I kept running into that yes. was like nagging at me. Yeah, that crystal's yeah. challenge sort of you know uncorked. Yeah, and I and I think you know I, I certainly you see this in in the culture right now like all this pushback on critical race theory in the schools and oh my gosh you know everyone's a, it's 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 that defensive reaction that we are now up against that mm-hmm. has been the barrier between a philosophy of racial assimilation versus true anti-racism. And, mm. you know, we, we were officially a, you know, the, the proper folks in our culture were officially assimilationist mm-hmm. for, you know, until maybe about 10 years ago. It's very recent. To, and then to now flip and say, and it's the old analogy that I love to use of, 
you know, come and have a seat at the good old American table. It's got room. See, everyone's welcome. Mm-hmm. Versus like, eh, we got to come together and build a whole new table. <laughs> yeah, let's right. flip And the that's table. what people right. are freaking out about because right. they think that, yeah, our first table was great. We just didn't really execute it well. And, and now we, we just know. just need more seats. More right. seats or, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, the table itself was deeply flawed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, great. So want to leave it there? Yeah. All right, cool. So the last thing we like to do is talk about whatever we're into this week. Uh, Beth, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So I have been trying to get back into working out and doing workouts that feel good to my body as opposed to working out because I feel like I need to punish my body into being thinner. That's something that I've really been wrestling with. Hmm. So I have been doing this Megan the Stallion workout aerobics video by these twins and eight. And it is so much fun. And I'm like, I'll be in my house like, yeah. Nah. Like I just <laughs> love it. Like doing this aerobics video and making all the Meg the Stallion out ad libs at home. It's perfect. So yeah, nice. that's what I'm into. Who's that from? Their name is and eight. Mm-hmm. And you can find and, that on YouTube. Yeah. And they have a bunch of videos. Awesome. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think, I've, I mean, I, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed to say I may actually have said this on a previous episode, but um, Redux, I'm still, if I have said it before, into Call the Midwife. They have a new season, and we watch that show and eat it up as mm. quickly as we can. Um, I love nearly everything about it. Yeah. Um, I could go on all day. I think the the highlights for me, though, are just um, – I think they do a really good job of um, representing people of faith. Like like the mm. show is kind of set in a, in a Catholic – It's not Catholic. It's I, an Anglican. Anglican. Sorry. I Yeah. Bat, uh, 11 seasons, and I still didn't know that. Um, <laughs> in a, yeah, in, a, in a, essentially a convent uh-huh. – um, and I, I like the way the religious life is represented on a mm-hmm. secular show. Um, there's a lot of depth and feeling. Um, and they just, they really address so many, like, health issues, social issues, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a very generous way. Yeah. You know what I really liked about that, about the latest season of that show, was how they dealt with abortion. Yes. And how, like, they legalizing abortion was, like, as something that they needed to advocate for and was good for their community, mm. despite the fact that, like, the sisters weren't all that excited right. about it from, right. a, from, like, a religious standpoint. Right. Um, and they so they had to deal with that conflict, which felt really like real people, have like, interacting with each other. Yeah. Yeah. In in this season, there's some, like, stuff about contraception uh-huh. and, a, and, a, and, like, contraception and poverty and, like, telling poor people to, like have like like stop making babies that mm. like get some mm-hmm. like like put some put some of the characters in some interesting positions mm. what's that what's the what's the jamaican uh nurse oh, i wish i remember her name all right one thing i like about the show is that uh is that she code switches whenever she's talking to her like jamaican church or her fiance yes. she like she really gets into like the jamaican patois yes or, like, just the jamaican accent she calls everybody precious too, and she like cleans it up when she's talking to the other like white nurses she does that's funny yeah, yeah. They, they bring really so good. many things in i like nuance like that yeah i really, really like that she speaks punjabi in an episode oh yeah okay awesome uh 
<laughs> so good. Yeah, this was this turned into a call the midwife. Yes, special call the midwife fan cast. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Jeff, what are you into? Well, not something quite as uh, intellectual as that, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm fully into my Philly sports fan angst mode right now. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. I, you know, just pessimistic, like, what is going on with the Harden-Embiid thing? I'm, I'm a big Sixers fan. I got my Sixers gear on here today. but What's going on with them? Their original, like, uh, everything looked like a blended perfectly the first few games and it, now it looks like they just met each other and it's like the most awkward thing mm. on the court oh okay. you know like they're playing styles and it just seems like everything's fraying at the edges and <laughs> like, honeymoon's already over yeah oh, like man. oh my gosh so oh, yeah no and you know my guilty pleasure is sports radio i never should listen to it but i do but <laughs> and i'm like ah you know so but yeah still love my sixers just I know they're going to lose when they shouldn't. So. <laughs> awesome. That's the worst. Yeah. That's what it means to be a yeah. true Philadelphian. That's right. <laughs> it really does, yeah. Disappointed um, and passionate. What I am into is uh, I am into <laughs> Spinosaurus, the dinosaur. Yes. Uh, specifically, I am into dinosaur Twitter or paleontology Twitter. What? Which is I, uh, which is a, tw- a twit, uh, which is a. A community on Twitter, okay. much like other communities, but I like how um, this in the past few weeks there was supposed to be a big scientific paper about Spinosaurus, and the whole like week leading up to the paper, they were treating the paper like a Beyonce album drop. <laughs> like they, everyone was so hyped about this paper yes! and like releasing memes about it, <laughs> and then the paper dropped, and it was relatively mundane. It's about like how bone density in Spinosaurus indicates that it was mainly an aquatic animal, like a hippo, so it would like swim around and catch fish. But the but Dino Dino Twitter like flipped out about it. it they were there was so much joy. Among these beautiful nerds. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, so I'm into Spinosaurus and Dinosaur Twitter this week. Shout out Dinosaur Twitter. Yes. I didn't know you were out there. I didn't know that you were needed, but there you are. <laughs> um, thanks to uh, Joe Mahoney, who is our audio engineer. Uh, Amy does our logo and our website. And Jared Selby does our theme song. Tess Patino is our social media goddess. And folks, it sounds like we want to do another answer questions episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we just like talking about your letters anyway. So please be sure to let us know how you're doing your Jesus following and your faith following and all that jazz because we want to hear from you. So write to us no longer at circlemobilizing at gmail.com. What is it? You still could do that, though. Yeah, you could email us there. But you, there's also a contact form on our website. That's it. Or go to our website, Circle. Uh, why am I fucking this up? It's colorcorrectionpodcast.com? Yeah. Okay. Go to our website, colorcorrectionpodcast.com. You know what it is? I did a bunch of circle mobilizing work today. You're making this so easy to edit, Beth. (laughs) 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 I just leave all of this. (laughs) Go to circle or go to colorcorrectionpodcast.com. Drop us a line and let us know how you're doing your Jesus following and your faith following. Um, And with that, stay black, Little Mermaid. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs>